Welcome to Tripping Over the Barrel, a series that highlights the unique personalities within the oil and gas industry and the stories they have to share with your hosts and lead storytellers, Tilo and Dr. Funkenstein. And we're back, Tripping Over the Barrel, this time with one of the head honchos, Jacob Corley. Can we call him? Can we call him a boss? Is he our boss? Of, kind of. Yeah. Mm, I never liked that term. Never and, liked it. Never and, liked it. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. know. I, I don't friend. know. So there, that'll, that'll work. <laughs> well, friend, um, first of all, I, I want to go back to the genesis of this whole thing. So Jake and I originally met actually as competitors. Um, Bro, Jake, I'm going to keep talking. <laughs> I'm going to look up our first conversation on LinkedIn. Oh, nice. Nice. He was with um, GDSware. Is that what it was called? Yep. 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 GDSware and pitching a pretty nice, like, you know, production field data capture solution. You could put it on any platform, um, you know, Windows, iPad. And I was with Seven Lakes at the time pushing their kind of iPad based field data capture. And um, Jake was making some waves, man. Like they were a newer, smaller company, but getting in the right rooms and making my life a little bit harder than it needed and to I, be. So I, rem- I remember that time frame because Jake was really the first person I saw really hit LinkedIn and social media, really pushing it that way. And I thought, man, I just, I'm not sure that's the way to go promote it on LinkedIn at, at the time. Um, you know, so, but it was kind of interesting to watch and I, we got connected, Jake. I don't know if you know that in that time, you just reached out real quick and hit me and we never really talked after that, but it was you know, I just I thought it was interesting. I'm going to watch how he's doing this on LinkedIn and see if it helps. So it feels like a lifetime ago, but it also feels like yesterday. I'm still scrolling through our messages. I want to find the first DM because you messaged me first. I remember that much. Oh, here it is. Here it is. Or no, I messaged you first. Oh, that's oh right. look at that. That's I uh, one of our first guys, Tim, we had to do lay- like the, the market absolutely tanked. We had to do layoffs. Tim ended up going working at Seven Lakes. Um, yeah. And then we, we decided to chat. I don't know. It was just like nice and cordial. Yeah. I remember the first time we met too. It was, I think it was 2017 actually in person um, at the Energy Tech Showcase up here in Denver. Were yeah. You, you yeah. With like yeah. An analytics company or something like that at that time, a different startup. But you had a lot of things going on. I remember that too. So I think that was like transition time for you. That was transition. So if it was 2017, I left GDS where in August 12th of 2016, myself, my partner had a little bit of a falling out. And I was like, you know what? I, I don't deserve this shit. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it myself. Um, we've since like made up and, and, and things like that. And I, I've seen him every once in a while. Um, but at the time I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go rinse and repeat. Like, I feel like I was getting all of our clients. I was getting all the field, uh, the, the feedback from, from clients on product development. I was doing all of the marketing. I was doing all the sales. I was like, I'm doing most of this myself anyways. And so I was like, okay, well let's go and like rinse and repeat. And so, you know, I started doing, you know, sort of podcasting also literally like a couple weeks later in 2016 and have since released at least one episode a week for however many years it's been. Um, but 2017 was like, I mean, that was like a humbling year for me. I went from something that we had, you know, built something pretty cool over the course of a few years. Um, you know, we were scraping by, like I was like barely paying myself anything. We had a team at one point, you know, then we got hit with the downturn and I think we had probably close to like 15 people at one point. And then we laid almost everybody off down to a skeleton crew um, then I had the falling out, then I left, then it was like, what do I do with my life then? And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it again. And, but how was I going to make money in the meantime? I had no clue. Like I had, I'm starting over with, I had a thesis of with GDS where we were trying to come in. And for those who don't know, it was essentially, you know, it was like production data management. It was hydrocarbon accounting. It was land management. The idea was to be this all in one kind of platform almost like a, like a cloud-based CRM, but instead of contacts, it's for wells, right? To be able to see the full history of a well, yeah. um, to be able to see like, you know, real life production data, to be able to see decline curves, like everything in one and making it super simple as opposed to it being in a bunch of different disparate data silos. The problem with that is replacing one system is practically impossible. Replacing seven, eight systems just never happens. Totally. totally. And we yeah, built it in a way that it was like, 
like it was meant to like all work together. And so by virtue of that, it was like, I mean, we got clients who had been around for a long time, um, you know, companies have been around for 30, 40 years, but it was really built for those new startup EMPs who had nothing, who weren't really ingrained in anything. And so whenever I was like looking to start something new, I was like, well, what's something that I can do differently? And I was like, well, how about instead of trying to replace everything, how about I try to connect everything? And so that was the idea behind WellHub. It was, you know, we were moving from, and I felt like GDS was pretty, it was a pretty good technology stack. It was the Microsoft stack. It was uh, ASP.NET, MVC. We still use SQL database, which is not bad, but I was like, let's move to something that's a little bit more cutting edge. And so I linked up with um, uh, another guy who was a developer that I had kind of just met as I was pitching his company, GDSware. He's like, hey, let's start something together. And we were working on building something that was going to connect everything together in a really easy to use and simple interface um, using a lot of new technology, uh, React, Node.js, MongoDB, mm-hmm. um, new cool stuff. And so, but like we didn't even get any sort of funding for that until end of 2017. So like surprise for those who didn't know, like I'm on a podcast posting, podcasting about oil and gas, but like my day job is I went back to personal training mm. because it allowed me to make a decent enough living on my own schedule with something that I was already really good at and being able to in between clients and at night moonlight getting well hub off the ground. You know, and so I went to I went to Equinox and River Oaks. I wanted to be surrounded by, um, you know, people who could be potentially investors or potentially clients eventually, uh, as opposed to kind of going to like just you know some regular shitty gym. And um, yeah, that was a grind. 2017 was rock bottom for me. Um, the whole year, the whole year was absolutely rock bottom, and it was very hard to, like, on one hand, like know I'm on rock bottom, and then second, like turn around and be podcasting and kind of talking about things in the oil and gas. It was very, and then on top of that, like we're going and speaking at different conferences. And so that to me was like, okay, you're at rock bottom. Like you can't really get much worse than this. Like, what are you made of and how bad do you want this? Mm. And so that was like my, and, and, and another thing is, and you know, this, some of the people that had offered me, or maybe you didn't know this, I was offered tons of jobs sure. uh, whenever I left in 2016, making more money by a factor of three or four than I had ever made in my entire life. And my fear in that moment was I will get complacent and I won't pursue and do what I want to do. And it'll be very hard to leave that. And so that's why I turned it down. I continued to make shit money, but at least I was able to scrape by and I was able to continue to to moonlight on what was like my priority of getting this next phase up. Um, well, you, you're yeah. a, you're a dreamer. You know what I mean? Like I've sort of always known that about you. I think you, you can, you can chameleon really well, right? You can play in different circles. We'll get to your background, right? You, you know, but between personal trainer, oil and gas, wildcatters, uh, all the podcasting. I mean, it's, it's, you're, you're pretty well varied from a skill perspective, but I want to go back to little Jake Corley. Where, oh, where are you, where are you from? I, I know you're a Marine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. give me the story up to that point, then the Marines and then, uh, you know, pushing you out into the real world. I uh, grew up in College Station, Texas, home of the Oops. fighting Texas Aggies. Um, never got indoctrinated into the Colts. Um, I think that just had to do with the fact that I was never a good student ever. I was like the guy that was in like when I was really young, I was in like the gifted and talented classes I was always advanced for my age, but I was like really ADD and also just didn't care. So even through high school, like I was in all AP classes and I did just enough to pass. That's it. You know, and it was like, it was one of those things that I was also at the same time I was in, um, I was in a bunch of different like punk bands, you know, Blake one need to at the time. And so looking back, that was really like my first kind of indicator that I'm probably going to be an entrepreneur because I wrote all of our music. I put together the band. I booked all of our venues. I ran, nobody knows this back, but back in the day, like bands, there was a pure volume. It was before MySpace came along. That was like where you went to find new bands, right? So you'd be able to go there and upload your stuff. You'd upload like where you're doing like shows and things like that. I excelled at that. I didn't give two shits about school. 
you know? And so it was like, I either wanted to be a rock star or I wanted to do something else. I was definitely not, um, the size that I am now. I was like literally probably you were calling I, I was, size? Dude, I was, I was calling size. I was like 140 pounds, like throughout high school, big Afro. Um, yeah, it was You shared some of those pictures, I think on Twitter and it's just, Oh yeah. 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 Absolutely yeah. Hilarious. Dude, the glow up's real. It, no, it, <laughs> is, it really is is absolutely real so yeah so um you know grew up in college station and then um definitely didn't have the grades to go to any good school so i went to blend i mean they let pretty much anybody in and then at that point in time i was like i didn't know what i wanted to do in my life i knew that the standard path was not really the direction that i wanted to go but i didn't really know anything else i was never exposed to one to oil and gas growing up at all hmm. two i was never exposed to entrepreneurship. I literally did not know a single person growing up whose family ran a business. Everybody I knew that was like, they were career something. And so that was just something that I just never really knew was an option. And so, so you, never brand, had, you never had the mentorship at that young age. No. To really, yeah. Okay. Just this like disdain towards not wanting to be ordinary and, and not wanting to follow like the, the tried and true path. Uh, I guess you can say. And so, you know, 2000, shit, I don't know, 2006, I think, when I was still in high school, 2007, somewhere in there, I started working at Reynolds and Reynolds, which used to be Universal Computer Systems. It's the second largest employer in College Station to mm -hmm. like next to the university. The whole reason I moved there was my stepdad actually worked at this company. Um, so we moved from Houston to, to College Station. So I was working there building, um, building cables, like Ethernet cables and a variety of other things for computer systems. Then I got bumped up to a robotics team building red, essentially like a red box for like car dealerships for like Ferrari keys, Lamborghini keys, sure. screen, touchscreen, all that kind of stuff. Did that. Um, so I'm like, I'm two semesters in, two or three semesters in at Blend, and my parents had a very solid baseline of like really low expectations as to what I had to, to maintain. <laughs> and I didn't meet that. And so like, I was too busy having, so like in, in like college housing there, you like rent a room and it's like, could be a four bedroom, four bath or whatever. Well, I had like this four bedroom, four bath apartment, but I was only paying for a room, but I got the whole thing. And so to make money, I was hosting parties. I was like the Van Wilder of, of Blinn. <laughs> and so I would host these keggers and like girls would get in free. Guys would, you know, get to pay for a cup, don't lose your cup. And so like, that's how I was like paying my bills in addition to kind of, to working there. So I get an ultimatum. My parents are like, so, you know, my dad calls up my, uh, my mom and um, my parents have been separated forever. And they're like, Hey, collectively we're dropping you. You have one month to figure out this is like in December, right? So like yeah. the, you have like one month to figure out what you're going to do with your life. We're not paying for your apartment anymore. Um, so you can either go full-time at Reynolds and Reynolds, or you can do something else. And I was never the kid that was like, you know, I'm going to go to the military or I'm going to do anything. Like, okay, let's think back. 140 pounds, Afro, music <laughs> playing, like not cut. I was not athletic and, by any stretch of the imagination. You knew you wanted to be extraordinary. So the irony is you go join the uniform club. So, yeah. So here's the thing. It was like, well, if I'm going to do it. So I like, I brought up this idea of like, I'm thinking about like, oh shit, like, I don't know what to do. I don't want to go full time at this, this company. Cause I'd seen just how blood sucking corporate life could be. And I was like, okay, yeah. At that time at, you know, 17, you know, making $40,000 a year be more than ever. I was like, but man, that just sounds awful. Like it's so miserable. It's like literally like office space. Like that's what our environment was like, you know? And so I was like, you know what, if I'm gonna do the military, I'm not gonna go and join like the Coast Guard or anything like that. If I'm gonna do it, like I'm gonna do, I'm gonna prove everybody wrong. Cause everybody was like, okay, Jake, go to the Air Force. Like it's gonna be easy for you. And I was like, no, fuck you. I was also like, I'm known as the, the Chair Force. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, you know what? So I was literally the easiest recruit. I literally walked into the Marine Corps recruiting station. Usually they have to like sell you. Usually like parents are like dropping their kids off, like, you know, kicking and screaming, I don't wanna go. And I was like, how soon can I leave? And he's like, uh, I can get you off, you know, about 25 days you can ship out. And I was like, cool, sign me up. Wow. And that was it. So then January of the next year, I ship off to San Diego and I was in for a world of hurt. Um, I mean, they beat so much into me. I was a, I was a, I was a punk kid, man. I was entitled. I thought uh, the world kind of owed me something for some reason. Um, I don't know. I, I attribute like, like, 
best four years of my life, worst four years of my life, all kind of rolled up into one. But if I had to do it again, absolutely, hands down, would absolutely do that again because it really molded me into who I am and it instilled a certain level. It like helped me hone in on, on a few things. It showed me for one that I did never want to do the corporate life whatsoever because the, the, the armed forces is the most corporate you'll ever get. Sure. Um, you know, it's your entire experience is dictated on the kind of managers that you have. So anybody who's, who's, who's kind of over you. And so that, but it also instilled a shitload of discipline in me and it showed me what truly, truly hard work is and that you can physically go like your mind is usually the first thing that kind of goes when things get really, really tough. And so it showed me what was truly possible, especially being that skinny kid of like, you know, putting your body to the test over the course of months and months of, you know, absolutely grueling training and not knowing if you're going to like survive it or anything. Um, and so I think it just beat into me a few things. And so coming out of that, you know, I spent my time in California, but coming out of that, I was like, I'll never work for anybody again. Like that's not on the table, <laughs> but still I had no clue what I was going to do in my life. But I just knew that that for sure. And I knew at that point that I was like, you know what? I never want to do this. And I know what hard work looks like. So I'm going to work even harder than that to accomplish whatever it is that I want to accomplish. Did you, um, did you go on like, to, to Iraq or Afghanistan nope. or anything like that? So you were in California? No, yeah, I was, in, I was in California. So the 29 Palms the first year, which 29 Palms is um, Satan's asshole. It's like the worst place in is the that United States. No, so 29 Palms is actually very close to nothing. Um, it's, <laughs> it's like right outside of Joshua Tree. I don't know a lot of people like to go to Joshua Tree. I don't know why anybody would ever want to go to Joshua Tree. It's hideous. <laughs> It's literally just desert. It's like going to Midland. It's like, it's, it's, it's like absolutely nothing out there. Um, kind of close to Palm Springs too, but you're at a little bit of a higher elevation. Uh, it's a little bit more of a mountainous desert terrain. There's only two climates. It's either 115 degrees outside or it's 15 degrees outside. Mm. And that is where they do what's called Mojave Vipers. So if you're going to Afghanistan or you're going to Iraq, the closest geography that we have to that in the United States is at 29 Palms. And it's actually the largest base that we have, but it's the people and the buildings are so close together, but it's just miles and miles and miles or square miles of just nothing. And so they go out there and they play war, they blow stuff up, usually do that for like two or three months to kind of get a little bit acclimated to uh, the terrain and kind of what to expect as opposed to just dropping you off in Afghanistan. Um, I wasn't there for Mojave Viper because I didn't deploy, but I was there for communication school. They thought, you know, what better place than to put it in the absolute middle of nowhere. Uh, so I was in comm school for a year building, not building, I guess, repairing um, radio systems, data systems, things like that. They go in either Hummers or uh, man packs. And then from there, went out to the fleet in, in uh, Camp Pendleton, which is smack dab right in between San Diego and LA. If you don't know, it's pretty much, if it's not part of the beach town, it is Camp Pendleton. Camp Pendleton's huge too, which is literally like, as bad as 29 Palms was, Camp Pendleton made up for it because it's the best duty station because yeah. you're like a 15-minute drive from the ocean. So I go surfing all the time, go running on the beach. You're also very close to Blue Bear. Uh, is it Blue Bear or Big Bear? I think it's Black, Big, Bear. Uh, Big, Big, Bear. Bear. Big Bear. Big Bear. So Big Bear, during the summer, you can go fishing. It's, it's a wonderful place. During the winter, you can go snowboarding, skiing. Uh, you're also close to like Akatia Wells, the deserts, so if you want to go out there and like go dirt biking and things. So like every bit of like extra time that we had when we weren't doing like field ops, like I was out there having the time of my life. So there's that. So there, I guess that was kind of the silver lining. Um, never has to deploy. I, I was actually training for the Marine Corps boxing team the last year that I was in. Mm. Um, so there's like this thing to where uh, a buddy of mine, he was a boxer. And so he was able to do the Marine Corps boxing team. He left the fleet. You just go around and box people for a year. <laughs> and I was like, cool. I'd much rather do that than fix radios. So I tried out for the team and then they came down and was like, Hey, do you want to deploy or do you want to be in the boxing team? Cause you can't do both. And I was like, put me in coach, let's do it. And then we didn't deploy. So there's that. Yeah. So, so you, so you're 21, right? You, you was, were you 21 when you came out? 22? I was 22 when I got out. So, so you've got, <laughs> so you're 22 years old, right? Obviously you've got varied skills at this point and you sort of knew at that time you're like, the, the, the formal structure, the hierarchical org chart is not where you're going to end up in your career. 
But mm-hmm. at 22, that's easier said than done, right? You don't have yeah. any money. You don't know that much. What was your path from then really until, I guess, GDS where? And then, and then let's talk about you meeting Colin and, and starting Wildcatters. So one of the things that I don't really ever talk about, but it, it's, it's also it's a huge stepping stone to kind of what set me on this path was, um, you know, I'm in California. I literally know one girl that I was friends with in high school who lived in L.A. And so I went and hung out with her. I met her boyfriend who's literally one of my best friends today, Harrison. I'm hanging out with him tomorrow. Um, and he wanted to do this, this whole concept of a startup of like, he had this idea of like mashing kind of like match.com with, um, you know, like finding roommates. Right. So like in LA, like even if you're in your thirties or forties, like nobody can afford to live by themselves unless you're just absolutely rich. And so he had all these terrible roommates and all these like awful stories. And so it was like, imagine you're able to like go and find an extra room, but also like, you do this personality test and you match up with somebody. And then second to that, we also were kind of coming up with like a, we call it a flat score. So like a renter score to where just like you're rating Uber drivers and they're also rating you vice versa. It was something kind of like that. And so it was like kind of like a two for one. Um, so I would go up there on the weekends. I'd ride my motorcycle all the way up to LA. And I mean, I was not like a partner in this by any means. I wasn't getting paid. It was just like, this was fun. And so we would go up there and we would just, hack away on, on whatever it was. I had no clue what I was doing. Um, but it just seemed like it was fun. And so through that, I discovered this whole concept of like Silicon Valley and like everything that was going on there. And then being able to just go put together a pitch deck and like, you know, fabricate this idea and build financial models and then raise money off of that. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. So I did, whenever I came back to Houston, I did the only thing that I really knew would kind of get me closer to that, which was go to school for computer science. You know, I already had this hardware background. I was bored. I didn't want to do that anymore. I was like, well, I'll just go build software. Like I'll come up with some cool ideas. I'll just build some software. I'll build the next Facebook, whatever. And so went to school for three semesters at uh, Lone Star College. Um, and then originally, and I'd never tell anybody this because I actually just for, forget about it until now, is that my goal was to, my wife's from California, was that I was going to come here, do all my like prerequisite stuff, kind of get on my feet again, um, you know, work somewhere for at least a few semesters and then transfer back to California to Stanford because that was like what all the tech bros did. It was like, everybody goes to yep. Stanford if you're a developer. And I was like, okay, well, that's what I'm going to do. So I'll go to Stanford. Um, that never happened. Uh, I've never <laughs> left Houston since. And so I was working as a personal trainer while I was in school and I saw a guy pull up. I'm a huge car guy. If anybody knows anything about me, I saw a guy pull up in a Porsche GT2, 2002 Porsche GT2. Nice. Very exclusive car. GT3s are very popular. GT2 is extremely rare. And I was like, that's interesting. You don't just own a GT2 by accident. Like you have to be an enthusiast. And then he pulled up in a couple other cars. Like I'd see him come in, work out and stuff. And I was like, what the fuck does this guy do? Come to find out. What does he do? So come to find out he was a developer. And Mm. then he didn't know anything about his workouts were awful. And I was like, okay, rather than me, like try to sell him on like being a client of mine or whatever. Um, you know, we started chatting and, you know, he's like, oh, I'm a developer. So essentially what we started doing is we started working out together. And so I helped him get in better shape. And then he started teaching me how to code in the real world. He's like, everything you learn in school is not accurate. Mm. It's just not, that's not how the real world works. So that progressed to um, me taking off, two days a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays from school and from work all together. I'd go to his house. We would just hack away on things. That's awesome. That didn't last very long before I realized, um, he was like, Hey, I've been working on this project. My dad owns a a pretty good sized private oil company, uh, in Houston. And I've been building software for his company to help him kind of like manage his data a little better. Mm. And I was like, that's interesting. Like, I don't know anything about oil and gas. And he showed this to me and, we luckily had some kind of contacts, actually. Um, his cousin had worked at P2. And so we got some feedback on P2. We got some feedback on Quorum. We kind of just did a little bit of digging. Not really the greatest due diligence, but we were like, okay, well, this seems interesting enough. Um, so long story short, I ended up finishing out that semester, dropped out of school, quit my job, and we went all in. I had absolutely GDS. no clue what I was doing. That was GDS work. Amazing. Wow. So you didn't have any SME at that time. Like, like no. I, I, cause I was impressed with, with Tim Cohn and with you just in general. Like I remember seeing you on you and Mark LaCour 
you know, talking. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this guy knows his stuff, even though his background is like a personal trainer, right? Which, which sort of, you know, it, it reminds me of, of a conversation I had with Colin um, when I, I, it was up here for the Energy Tech Showcase when you were just having, your wife was just having one of your kids. So I actually yeah. filled in for you the first time I did yeah. uh, OGS. And that was awesome. But I remember asking Colin questions and I'm like, well, how how about this? How about that? And he sort of looked at me at one point. He goes, I don't know, man. I just sort of like get into stuff and figure it out. And I yeah. think that's a quality that I really admire um, from people kind of your generation and even younger is whether it's leveraging technology or, or whatever. Just, you generationed him? You just, well, you just, you generationed him? <laughs> well, you're a millennial, right? <laughs> Come right? on. I'm 32. So whatever that makes me, yeah, I think I'm a millennial. Yeah. I think that's right square in the, in the yeah. millennial mix. But, but problem, solving, problem solving. And, and I think you and Colin do a tremendous, a tremendous job of, of problem solving. So, so talk about him a little bit, right? Both of you guys have a huge online profile. He, I knew you obviously, mm -hmm. uh, 13, 14, 15, 16. And then Colin started to hit my radar, probably 17, 2017 mm -hmm. timeframe out of nowhere. Right. And just coming and being yeah. like, this industry's so fucked. Everybody's so backwards. The tech's behind and getting in LinkedIn fights. It was highly entertaining. And I was like, okay, well, what are these guys up to? Right. So, so yeah. tell me how you guys came together and how wildcatters became a thing. So very similar to how we met, uh, he slid in my DMs on LinkedIn and, you know, I'm, I'm at GDS where at the time, this is 2016. He's just like, Hey, um, you notice you're an entrepreneur in the oil and gas space. And, you know, we'd love to just kind of get together with like-minded people and then have lunch. And I had actually meant to respond to that immediately, but actually I totally didn't. And then I was going back through my messages and looking for something, saw it's like six months later and was just like, Hey, just saw this. Sorry oh, about this. Um, but the, how, how serendipitous is this? Like the fact that I was looking for, and had I not looked for something like the butterfly effect, like oh, none yeah. of this would exist. Uh, so I was like, Hey, we would love to grab lunch. Let's do something. So we got together at uh, Nico Nico's. We sat down. Uh, we were actually just chatting about this on the podcast prior. Um, you know, he was telling me, you know, I'm from the oil field, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, usually doing kind of two weeks on, two weeks off. I've been all over. He was working in venture global technology at the time, running expandable casing. Um, I was like, you know, I'm re I was reading certain books about uh, like real estate and real estate investing at the time, kind of looking to, you know, invest in some things. And he'd, he'd read about the same books. We were on kind of the same online forums, kind of coincidentally as well. He was looking at starting a, a trash truck company. And I was like, well, that's interesting. And he kind of explained to me the economics of trash trucking. And I was like, cool. all right, cool. That sounds pretty cool. So like a one hour was supposed to be a one hour lunch and like a three hour lunch. Um, and I just felt like we hit it off. It was like, we always say that it was like that scene from Step Brothers, Like, did we just become best friends, you know? Yep. And then we just went and did karate in the garage. And from there, it was like, we just started texting every day. Um, it was just like, Hey, what do you think about this? Hey, what do you think about this? And it just kind of became this thing of, I think very early on the thing that bonds there's a few things, but some of, some of the few things that kind of bonded Colin and I was similar ambitions in what we wanted to, to really accomplish out of life. I think very early on, both of us was like, hey, it's not about the money, but I think what we want to accomplish is like become billionaires just for the, like it's a game and like money is points. And I didn't think he was crazy when, when he said it and I didn't think, and then like vice versa, like we were like, hey, I think we can do that. And, and then it was work ethic. It was like, finally, I felt like, especially after I've been grinding my you know, wiener off for a few years at GDS, where it was like, finally, somebody who I felt like understood what it took um, yep. you know, to work hard. And then also like what you just said, it was somebody who was like me and just figuring things out, yep. you know? And so like through that, it was like, you know, Wildcatters wasn't born immediately. It was like, we met in 16 and then... He was still working. Um, you know, I was trying to do WellHub. We actually got an office for, it was like part WellHub, part Creator House, who we've since acquired, who is Matt, yeah. Tim, and Jacob. Those guys are so they, good. They worked with us, um, you know, very early on. It was also for our wells in Oklahoma that we ended up uh, acquiring. Um, that was just something, that was part of something that was so much bigger um, or supposed to be something, something that was so much bigger and it just turned out to us just operating some wells in Oklahoma. Great experience. Um, 
2017, when we're at WeWork, we actually host our first happy hour. Um, and a few hundred people showed up and that was pretty cool. And like, nobody knew who we were really at that point. I mean, I was like podcasting and stuff, but still like nobody really knew who we were. And we're like, oh, this is kind of cool. So we started doing a few more of those. Um, a certain group of people ended up kind of like branding those as their own and, and kind of taking them over. And those have, have since died. Um, but that was like, hey, this is something kind of cool here. And then 2018 rolls around. You know, we're doing the whole tech founder thing in, in oil and gas with Wellhub and uh, operating wells at the same time. Uh, and we had a lot of friends who were founders. We were like, you know what? We're having a lot of cool lunches. We we're like, you know what? I'm already podcasting. Colin was really interested in kind of pursuing this idea as well. I was like, let's just do one called the Oil and Gas Service Podcast and see. Like, nobody's probably going to listen to it. But the worst case scenario is I have a reason to reach out to guys that I want to connect with, whether it be through oh, yeah. like EMP CEOs or other like tech founders who are much more successful than me to like surround myself with, with these kind of guys. Worst case scenario, we build a pretty good network and we have kind of fun doing it. And so we were like, all right, let's do it. So we launched that and had really no clue what we were doing with it. And then it kind of grew organically over time. Um, so what is the birthday of digital wildcatters? Cause I always thought when you guys had the wells, it was officially digital wildcatters then. Digital Watercaps was originally the name of our YouTube channel. Okay. That yeah. was what, that's all it was. It's a really it's a really good name. We were thinking I mean, of it one day and like were we were thinking of names for something. I think it's the names for the YouTube channel. I was like, uh, Digital Wildcatters. And we we're like, oh, that's pretty cool. So then we like bought the URL, never think we were gonna use it for anything. We filmed like the first video that I think is still the first video that we have on YouTube is us buying those wells and like going out and looking at those. Yeah. Hanging out in hotel that, rooms and Oda, I, re I remember. Oklahoma. Yeah, that one yeah. came across my YouTube feed the other day. Just to, yeah, hey, we bought some oil wells, dude. That's still like one of our best performing videos ever. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, so then we, man, I'm trying to think. So 2018, bought the wells, YouTube podcast. We had an acquisition offer. Actually, yeah, I like, okay, I remember this. I, I'm glad that you brought this up. Yeah. I was I'm so, not gonna go into I'm not gonna go into the details. You don't have to, but it was so early. It I was really early. Like, it was it was yeah. literally like four or five months into podcasting. Um not gonna say who it was. If you know, you know. Um I think I know. Ended up not working out. Uh both of us had a gut feeling that it wasn't the it wasn't the direction that we wanted to go. That ended up being a very, very good decision, probably the best decision we ever made. One of them. Um, and so then we just said, okay, there's something here. We don't know what it is, but let's turn this into a legit company. So, you know, we got an LLC, we turned it into actually digital wildcatters and then oil and gas service podcast kind of being just a, a podcast kind of underneath that, um, slowly kind of sort of putting out some more content, um, rolling into 2019, we started doing energy tech nights. And that actually, if you go back and look at any of the materials, it wasn't actually under Digital Wildcatters. It was actually under our consulting company, Deep Rock Advisors. Yes. So we, were we were consulting like various technology companies out of Silicon Valley and international that had a product and they thought there was a fit for it in, um, in oil and gas. And so we would go and just talk to people. Literally, it was just like interviewing a ton of people to seeing if there was like some sort of fit there. We never set out to do that. We were figuring out how we were going to pay bills and we had opportunities. We seized the opportunities, did a few clients and that held us over for like a year. Um, so yeah, we did three energy tech nights in 2019 at, we did two at WeWork and we did the third one at St. Arnold's here in Houston and mm. a few hundred people each time. And the idea was like, I mean, it's the same as it is now is, Hey, we're talking about these cool technologies. It'd be kind of cool if somebody demoed them live to an audience of EMPs, OFS companies, investors, so on and so on. And then like real stuff happened. Like companies were actually getting clients, companies were actually getting investors. Um, so yeah, and then 2020 hit. We were also working on some secret selfie stuff in 2019 um, that we didn't really tell many people about. If you know, you know, once again, uh, that'll all kind of come to light one day. And 2020 rolls around. We got to a milestone with that company that we had co-founded and decided that there was a decision to be made. It was one or the other. And so hmm. we left something that was fun. We'd raised like 5 million bucks at a good valuation. We were 
partners in that company. We built a great team, great technology, has a potential to change the industry. Mm. Uh, and hopefully those guys go on and do some really great things with it. Um, or we go out and do something that we were really passionate about. We were making absolutely no money on. <laughs> uh, so we chose the latter and then <laughs> we were like, all right, we're doing it. And then literally we had, we had like in our office at the time, we were in downtown Houston. We had built like this pricing monitor where it literally monitored, uh, monitored CME. So you'd see crude prices, natural gas prices, fork curves in real time. And so we're having a conversation with somebody and in real time, we watched it go to negative 37. And we still had not made, like we hadn't figured out how we were going to turn this side gig into like a business or anything. And we were nervous to like, to say the least, we had enough cash. Uh, we were actually, our partners at the other company had bought us like half out. Um, so we liquidated like half our equity. So we had enough cash to kind of last us all of 2020. Um, Interesting on the timing there, because that's uh, the exact time that you were talking to Jeremy and I about starting this podcast yeah. as to, to come into the into the group. So it's kind of, it was interesting because we had our, I think our first podcast was that week when, yeah. when it went negative. Yeah. So it was like, and this goes back to, we had no clue what we were doing in terms of trying to turn this into like what it is today. We didn't know what the playbook was. We didn't know like the typical rules that kind of people follow in this. We didn't know any of that. So we only did what we knew was like, well, let's just do more. I don't know. Let's just do that. So obviously, so we knew you guys were like, Hey, let's launch this. You guys were the first podcast. And then I think by the end of 2020, well, we launched six. <laughs> So yeah, we were second, and then oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of second. There was some other barrel podcast in there. I don't remember. Um, and yeah, so we had like six podcasts. I think by the end of twenty twenty, yeah. we had launched the newsletter, which was originally the Roundup. Now it's BDE. Um, towards the end of the year, we kind of worked out some of our first kind of brand deals with some organizations, and I think they kind of further legitimized what we were doing. Um, and helped us survive. And then. And yeah, now the events are back on. So, yeah. events what, are back on. What is the. Yeah, it seems like Digital Wildcatters has morphed a few times, you know, at least from the outside looking in. From my. I'm, I'm going to consider myself out on the outside of this. What's the. What's the 30 second elevator pitch when someone says, What is Digital Wildcatters? What do you. Are you guys an event company? Or are you a technology company? podcast company and I'm, I'm guessing you'll say yeah we're all of that but what what do you tell people what is the the vision statement i think it depends on who you're talking to uh if i'm talking to my dad or someone who's older who's not from the industry like my dad's a, a police officer and he asked me or anybody else asked me like a family get together what do you do um i try to use an analogy that it would help him understand it's like i'm it's like we're kind of like a like a CNN, right? But we also do kind of like events and stuff like that. You know, that's not a great way to explain it. To anybody who's somewhere close to our age and familiar with Barstool Sports, I like to say that we're the Barstool Sports of, of yep. energy. Yep. Um, it's very quickly becoming even like so much more than that. I just feel like we're kind of becoming this movement within the energy industry where it's, it's so much bigger than me or Colin or you guys or anybody else that's actually on the team. Like Digital Wildcatters is like this, this movement of people who are wanting to challenge the status quo and like this, this community. Um, and I think our, you know, our, our app collide is, is going to be a huge kind of player in, in bringing that community together over time. So it kind of depends. I mean, at our core, are we a media company? Yes. But everything we do is, is for the community. All the events are based on feedback that we get from members. If we didn't have this community, we wouldn't have guests on our shows. We wouldn't have people that are coming to the events or presenting at events. Um, nobody would come to our parties. So it's like, I would say that this kind of, this, this version of, of Wildcatters has really been driven by what does the community want and need and just constantly listening to people. That was a big part of what we did in 2020 was more than anything, because we couldn't raise any capital because there was no capital to raise. So as a set of shipping stuff, it was just talking to people. Um, and so just figuring out like, Hey, you know what we do? What can we do better? Like, what does the industry need? And so we had a lot of conversations with people that really kind of led to us launching Collide. Even though we haven't done a heavy, heavy push of that, it's kind of by design. It's, you know, how do we, how do we bring together, like, especially we were really thinking in, in that COVID world of we couldn't do energy tech nights. We didn't know if we were ever going to be able to do events again, at least in the, like, the next few years. We didn't know how long the pandemic was going to last. 
It was like, well, how do we continue to bring together people who are peers in the industry to be able to exchange ideas that ultimately moves this industry forward? You know, our mission is, we like to say this, to, to um, accelerate innovation and disruption in this space. And mm-hmm. a lot of that's really been at the intersection of technology and the industry. But I think it's expanding beyond that in terms of how can we influence things culturally? Um, like dressing casual is not just for the fun shtick of like, hey, we're the casual Barcelona sports of energy. It's also like, I think it goes to show like, hey, we're in this new kind of world where it doesn't matter necessarily what you wear or what you look like. It's it's a meritocracy. It's it's what's up here and what you can kind of contribute to the community is what's really valuable. And we've seen that with now that everybody's, you know, working from home and, you know, kind of just working in t-shirts and jeans that that's really what's important. Let's focus on the important things that really moves the industry forward and not these things that's going to hold us back. And also at the same time, it's like, how do you attract young talent when you're competing against the Silicon Valley firms that are already doing it, you know? So, all right. So it's been an amazing journey that, you know, really, I mean, Digital Wildcatters is a two-year-old company, really, in its yeah. current form. I mean, if you want to look at it that way. So... <laughs> This week, as we record this, you just did the Midland, what do we, is it the tech showcase or, no, uh, or not e- tech showcase, e- but e- energy e- tech e- night. Yeah. So the Midland energy tech night and all reports I've had so far was great. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you about it. But then you, the, the picture you post is you sitting at uh, uh, Clayton Williams desk, right? Yeah. And yeah. I just started thinking about, you know, in these two years, what's the coolest thing, most rewarding thing or most fun thing? What is the coolest thing that's, you've gotten to do because of digital wildcatters is it sitting there contemplating life at clayton williams desk or i mean of course i'm seeing that what is while you're while you're thinking of it i'm gonna guess that it's not when you tore your acl doing no that was (laughs) definitely not uh the high point of my life and then i got covid like i don't know two months later like right after my surgery and so and then i forgot to take my anxiety and depression medication on top of it so it was a not fun um I think going back, I know a post you're talking about, and it, I mean, I kind of said it as, as it kind of came to my mind. It was like things like sitting at Clayton Williams' desk. It was his actual desk. We were sitting there. We actually had the opportunity uh, to go in and talk to his right-hand man, Mel Riggs. Um, Mel, great guy. Had the opportunity to meet uh, Modesta uh, Williams, who's Clayton Williams' wife. Absolutely uh, fantastic lady. Um, and he's just walking us through the office and the walls are completely covered in, in pictures and medals and all sorts of stuff. And the guy lived an absolutely fascinating life, but, um, it's like, I, I don't, I, I feel like Colin and I always knew that moments like that were going to come and it's because we manifested it and we knew that, and it kind of goes back to like, just like starting the podcast of there's been some really, really cool moments like that. And then having like John Arnold on the podcast, he was somebody that was on my, like, short list of like who would be rock stars that we eventually want to get on and never didn't know if it was going to be possible, but I mean, we made stuff like that happen. Um, there's some other really cool moments that I won't talk about that are also like really, really surreal. The people that I get to hang out with and the friends that I've made um, of guys who are just absolute movers and shakers uh, in this industry. Uh, you know, Toby Rice is a great friend of ours now and, and the Rice brothers and everything that they've done. Um, great friends with Alan Gilmer. I mean, he's arguably built one of the biggest tech behemoths in this industry ever. Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely brilliant guy. Um, yeah, it's, it's all surreal, but it's not necessarily surprising. And I don't want to come across as arrogant when I say that. I'm, what I'm trying to say is that we had a clear vision of the kinds of people that we wanted to surround ourselves with. We wanted to be the dumbest people in the room. We wanted to be the brokest people in the room. <laughs> and by like building essentially this platform to, to provide some kind of value to them, it allowed it to, to make these kind of things happen. And now these opportunities kind of present themselves more frequently. And I think at the same time, it's also cool. Like we're getting to tell some really, really cool stories. There's a lot of things that we're working on behind the scenes that we haven't talked about. Um, shooting documentaries that not only have the ability to you know, change the industry from within is like some of being like some of those highly produced content this industry's ever seen. But I think that the responsibility now that we have is also to change public perception of how this industry is perceived. And especially now and the first time in our lifetime, good or bad energy is at the forefront of public conversation. 
And so it's our responsibility to not only like to, to, to really be a champion for oil and gas and all the great things that it does for the world. But we also see as another kind of responsibility of ours is also to kind of bridge that gap between the oil and gas world in this new world of renewables and staying true to ourselves and our brand and being pragmatic. We've been extremely difficult and um, critical about some of the things in oil and gas. We want to clean up the way that we, we do things, whether it be literally cleaning things up or whether it be culturally from E, S, or G perspective. Um, I think that the last two kind of get neglected sometimes. But doing the same thing on the renewable side and saying, you know, hey, if it makes sense, it makes sense. But if it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, and calling something what it is. Yeah. So, so one of the things that I was, and I'm just going to, I'm going to stroke you a little bit on this one, but the Evolve conference, digital mm. conference, I, I call it a conference, the, the Evolve yeah. event that you guys put together. I was, yeah I've, yeah, I've seen your other videos that you've done. That thing was so cool. Dude, the way it was put it, together, the quality together. of it. Tim, we it watched was, it in your office yeah, on that's the big right. screen room. That's right. You were down visiting. We, we threw it up on the big screen. And I can yeah. tell you that, you know, uh, Larry Denver, who you met, Jake, we're, you know, we're sitting there looking at this going, I can't believe the absolute quality of the work that was going on. And, and, I, and I know there was a lot of behind the scenes, holy crap, that's not working. Let's pivot and let's do some other stuff. But that whole thing was great. Is that going to be in the offing coming forward? Are we can do more of those or? Absolutely. It's something that um, Connor and I are actually part of like this small little private mastermind group or whatever of other people in various industries that are in like the B2B media space. Um, and so it's pretty cool to be able to share things like that in, in a form like that. We're all in a Slack group together. And I wanted to get feedback on what they thought of that because we'd never seen anybody do that. It was like every virtual conference was it was Zoom calls. It, it, it was, and like it was a, just exactly. It was like a panel, right? You got five people in a monitor. Um, yeah. And we saw the opportunity there and we had partnered with a company to make that happen. We were on the hook for a lot more money than we'd ever even made to be able to pull that off. And I saw the opportunity to say, if we're going to do this, we have the ability to do it pre-recorded. Let's not like we'll stream it live. So let's up production. Let's make it like like Netflix, right? So that it's a cool asset. And then even after the event's over, people can go back and watch these and enjoy watching it and add in nice editing and all that kind of stuff and maybe even music. And then at the same time, it was like Nice mix of live and pre-recorded. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. You're, you're back and forth. It's like watching a highly produced six o'clock newscast. Yeah, over two days. It, it really was, and and the, that was what blew me away because yeah, I'd you'd seen the hey, we bought some oil wells video. That is yeah. cool. It's got music. It's well edited. But you know that was suddenly. You know, I'd like to attend that. Yeah, you know, type of thing. Like, so that's a format that we're planning on doing moving forward. Um, we're going to do in-person events like we're doing the ETNs, um, but also wanted to continue that format. We believe it is like kind of you know pretty cutting edge. There is potentially the opportunity of merging those two things together. Of if you guys have ever been to any kind of like larger church these days that has satellite campuses, um, you know some of these campuses actually have like no pastor in person. Um, it's like, you know, you go to a movie theater, you go someplace where there's large AV and they broadcast that on there. And so who's to say that we can't still have like pre-recorded content and do it in a really, really engaging way. And then, you know, do it at the Heights theater to where you can still bring together 500 people and have like that in-person networking kind of component to it. Um, so we're going to have some that are definitely going to be purely virtual and still, and we're going to up the production quality even higher than we did before. I love the format. Um, but also still continue to do these, these, uh, you know, in-person events. And then now we're starting to do like we have in, in November, we've got our new wave event, which is kind of, I've considered to be more like exclusive. Yeah, that um, looked, you know, looked kind of cool. I actually would have probably gone to that or applied to go, but I'm at a retreat that week, but it looks <laughs> amazing. It really looks neat. Tim, are you, are you thinking about going to that? No, dude, I'm in the Middle East. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, we're, ah. we're taking, we're, let's tell our boss, we're going to be taking a week off because I'm yeah. going to be in the Middle East and he's uh, going to be in California at a retreat. Yeah. So that's that just takes everything to the uh, an entirely new level of being able to do something in more of an intimate environment, bringing in guys like, um, 
you know, some, some top level guys from across the industry to be able to lead kind of these guided discussions were a little bit more hands-on, a little bit more intimate uh, to be able to, you know, kind of get in the room with these guys, go golfing, go eating. And it's a couple days of networking. So we're going to do that. Um, and we got some really cool stuff too. It's, a, it's unfortunate. I mean, Tim, you're here in Houston. You get to drop my up more often, but Jamie, it's unfortunate that you're in Denver because we may be moving offices in the next six months to okay. a place that is not an office, but it's way cooler okay. than is where we're gonna at have now. A, is it going to have an octagon in it? May have an octagon. May have an octagon, <laughs> depending on okay. how big the backyard is. If that gives you any clue. Huh. Okay. okay. Oh. A backyard. All right. A backyard. Right. Well, that'll be good for content. So well, I'm yeah, actually- well, the idea is like we, we have like all these things. Like tonight we're having an Astros watch party at our office, right? It's yeah. not huge. It's probably That's 12 up. people, 15 people, things like that. Like if I was doing, down there, I'd go to that stuff all the time. Like, yeah, just like just having a fun place to come and hang out and it being like this new age essentially what it is now, like a new age petroleum club, like for millennials, if you were to kind of rethink that, like somebody comes in from Midland or Denver and needs a place to camp out between meetings, like our office is always full of stragglers. So like, how do you make, how do you like lean into that and make like a really cool place for the community to come together? You know, I, 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 uh, sorry, Tim, you got some? No, no, I was just going to say it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, mean, look, I'm going to, as Tim said, I'm going to stroke you here a little bit too. (laughs) I'm going to stroke so much this, this podcast. Two things. One, and I've said this to both you and Colin, wildcatters coming in and being disruptive has enabled people like me to have more of a voice. I almost felt like in some ways um, throughout my career, I just sort of had to to tiptoe along the status quo and do things a certain way. And I saw how you guys were going about it without giving any fucks. And I'm like, wait, wait a second. That's, that's cool too. Um, but the other piece is you guys have a really big following. You also have some haters, but we don't need to talk about that. You have a really big and loyal following, which is like Barstool Sports, and that can't be replicated. The reason I think you guys have that is because authenticity really plays nowadays. Mm -hmm. And you and Colin and really everybody on your platform, we're we're all just who we are, right? Nobody here is pretending to be a different persona. And and I think that is attractive to a larger community to say, hey, these guys say they're going to do something they go and do it. And it sort of permeates through the rest of the, the organization, even to people like us that are really only tied in through a Slack channel and a couple texts every week. We feel like we're a part of something. And, and I uh, have great appreciation for you guys and what you're doing. I think it's fantastic to see you finally going out on your own with, with Funk Futures and all the great things that you guys are doing there and allowing you to, to finally kind of you know, spread your wings. And it's so awesome to see the success that you guys are having you know, and being Thanks, able to like really you know, lean into that. And we want to see more of it, you know? And I think that I'd be lying if I said that I, the, the digital wildcatters community as a whole, you know, hasn't grown and, and had an impact on the industry. You know, you're seeing, especially like in 2020, it was like the silver lining was a lot of people got, you know, severance packages or got laid off and you're seeing people go and start more EPs or you're seeing them start more like technology companies or, you know, people like yourself going off and, and doing what you're doing. And so it's cool. Like, we want more people to like create content and like, we're just showing like what is possible. You know, we, everybody said it was going to be career suicide for us. And my dad still doesn't get it. He actually called me yesterday and he was like, <laughs> I sent him like, we, we were the keynote speakers at uh, Namoga uh, about a month ago. And I, I sent him the talk just to just let him see. Cause he was having had questions about it. And uh, he's like, would it kill you to, to put on a, a button up shirt or a suit? So <laughs> no, it's part, I mean, I, right now, if, if you were to do that, there'd be a whole, be what, what's wrong? Yeah, exactly. What, what, I mean, if you weren't standing up there imitating Matthew McConaughey from the Wolf of Wall Street, yeah. you know, up on stage or, you know, or if, if the meme overlord wasn't throwing out a controversial <laughs> meme every couple yeah. of weeks, you know, it, it just wouldn't be digital wildcatters. Yeah. And the idea is, and I think, Jeremy, you hit the nail on the head. It's the brand is authenticity and that's not something that's unique to us it's something that everybody should absolutely play to i think we've gotten so tied up in um kind of this let's use the analogy of a lot of people have a linkedin you know if you're some sort of professional you also have an instagram right and you go and look at somebody's profiles like next to each other you look at mine and it's pretty much the same only thing on my instagram is i post a lot more (laughs) my kids um you know but a lot of people like to kind of put on this, this completely different persona and i think what we realized early on was 
so many people in this industry were like so cool. And it was like, but they just either, you know, because they were, you know, had an employer, they couldn't say what they actually wanted to say. And I think that that's where we kind of like, kind of drew a hard line in the sand as we started saying things that were said in private and public and um, you know, it caught on, it worked, uh, I guess. So I think I would, I would just encourage more people to be authentic. If you have the ability to do so and you're not absolutely beholden to an employer who doesn't let you put out any sort of content, um, you know, we're still in the, the first inning of this whole creator economy and content these days is currency. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Um, you know, anytime that you want to sell a product or a service, you know, to, to kind of be that come become that trusted advisor for whatever it may be, people are going to be looking to content, you know, like one of the things that I want to do soon, and I've been talking about it is kind of as a side hustle is to, I want to start uh, an exotic car rental company here in Houston. I see an opportunity oh. for it. And one of the first things that I'm thinking about is what is our content strategy? That's it. Like I know the economics of the business. I know it's going to work, but it's like, what's the content strategy? How do I break the internet to make sure that people are paying attention to it? Hmm. You know, and by falling in line with the status quo and rank and file of doing exactly what everyone else is doing, you don't get noticed. And it doesn't mean that you have to be absolutely eccentric and completely untrue to who you're like, be true to yourself, but like you're, you are unique. Like everybody is unique. So play to that. Yes. Man, my mind's going now. Just all that. So first you get to go hit your, I'm a car guy thing by doing that. That's just an itch that I see. I see videos of, Jake rolling around town with various people in the car with him. Maseratis and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, something. I don't know. <laughs> oh, man. Well, Selfishly, is- I want a fleet of exotic cars, and I want to be able to have them what? make me money. So that's the whole reason I'm doing it. And it's like the, like making money on the side is like a, it is just cherry on top. But having access to a fleet of cars that I can drive that's is, cool. is the entire purpose that I want to do it. Man, Damn, well, that's- no, shortage, no shortage of ideas. And, and just to, to point this out again to the listeners, when you, got, you guys are big about saying you're going to do something and then actually doing it, right? There's a big difference, I think, between someone who just talks a lot and has a lot of mm-hmm. ideas. Like most of your ideas come to fruition. And, yep. and I love to see that. So I'm going to hold you to this. We're coming back in a year. We're talking about your exotic car. Rental. Elevated exotics. I already got the name. Uh, as long as I can get the domain name, which I'm planning on purchasing soon. Um, it's, uh, it's the price just went up as this the price just went up. I know, so I know. <laughs> but but that's not to say. Let me say. So one last point on that is it's like putting something out in the universe and then just like doing what you're saying to do does not necessarily mean that it's going to be successful. Sure. Like the path to success is paved with tons and tons and tons of failures, and I think that that's one thing that Colin and I really see that well is that we're not scared to take these big risks and these big chances. A lot of the times having absolutely zero clue, like when we hired Stephanie, we didn't know how we were going to pay her. When we got this office, we had like two weeks to figure out how we were going to pay for that, you know, but it was like, we're going to do it and we're going to figure it out. And we, and we have, doesn't mean we haven't failed. Um, but I think that to anybody who's listening, who wants to like go off and do their own thing, and this applies to all aspects of life, is it's like failure is the path forward. Like that's not something that you can go around. Like you're not going to knock it out of the park every single time. And if I'm looking to like, I don't know, like say with, with this exotic car company, the ideal person for to like run that is an entrepreneur who's had like two, three failures under his belt and understand what that's like to now come in and absolutely succeed with this. That's you know, fantastic. so fantastic. That is a keynote speech right there somewhere. I don't know where yet, but that's a good keynote speech. I'm going to start another company. I already got enough companies right now. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm coming down next week, Jake. I'm actually coming on your podcast, OGS. I'm oh, yeah. That. That's next week. And then I got a VIP table at Energy Tech Night. And I've never been to Energy Tech Night. You've so never been? Oh, my I've God. I've never been. I know. So I had to. Stephanie sold me. So kudos to her. Make sure you get her commission, right? She uh, she sold me hard and was like, I'll give you the uh, Midland price, but don't you tell anyone. So, whoops. Don't, don't tell anybody, but Stephanie <laughs> makes more money than us. And I love it. I absolutely that's, love that's, it. She crushes it. Happened. She crushes that's, it. Yeah, she, and, and she's cool. And then you get Donnie by default too. Who's just we get Donnie by default, it. man. It's like a, it's like a two for one. It's I think that's, out, it's I think that's Donnie's whole life is by default. So <laughs> the plus one. human plus one. The, yeah. Don Dra- the monogamous Don Draper of oil and gas. Anyways, Jake, we're going to cut this, but how can people find you if they want to get a hold of you for speaking engagements or talk about your podcast or any of that stuff? How do people find you? Order rent exotic cars. 
Yeah, or when he's out of cars. Um, I'll give you a URL on that later. Um, but a LinkedIn. If you want to email me, jake at digitalwildcatters.com. Um, if you really want to reach me, ask somebody for my phone number. I'm sure these guys have it. Um, I'll talk we to anybody it. about anything. So and, and feel, feel free to find me. We, de- we definitely will. And I'm, I'm just going to say this before we go because I want to normalize this. One of the things that I love about the digital wildcatters is like when I see you guys, when we leave, we literally say, I love you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, yeah. and, and I mean that, like, I, I love you guys. I love what you're doing and just, just continue, you know, staying authentic and fostering the culture because it's helping so many different people that, you know, including the two of us. So you're my, no, dad. absolutely. This is, I, I say this, uh, I've said this to a few people lately. It's like, I get to come home. And, you know, my, my kids are kind of climbing all over me and it's like, it's still so surreal that, especially describing to somebody like my dad or somebody who's like not from this industry, like what I get to do for a living and just kind of boiling it down to this, like working with you guys and getting to hang out with cool people and do podcasts and host these really awesome events. And, you know, some of them are just parties, like that is like the best life ever. (laughs) <laughs> and so, and I, and I don't take that for granted. Like I totally appreciate that. And I try to stay grounded in 2017 being rock bottom and, and understanding where we've come from then. I'm like, I'm extremely grateful to like this community for, um, you know, for allowing this out without the community, we'd be nothing. Um, without you guys, we'd be nothing. Uh, without all the other podcasters, we'd be nothing. So I'm grateful to, um, to everybody in the, in the Wildcat community. Rock well on. said, well said. Well, we'll see you at Energy Tech Night, my man. All right, my guys. Appreciate you having me on. Peace.